Welcome to the Gospel in Lagos, the sermon podcast of City Church. City Church is a community of worshippers and mission. We exist to catalyze a gospel-centered movement that renews Lagos spiritually, socially, and culturally. You can find out more about us at www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos. When I'm done reading, I would say this is the word of the Lord. Please reply and say thanks be to God. Matthew 7, 13 to 14. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you very much, Tommy Sin. That has to go down as the shortest reading. How much practice did you give to that? A lot, yeah? Just checked it this morning. <laughs> All right, good morning, everyone. Good morning. Nice to see you. As I said, if you've walked in before, uh, after I'd already uh, spoken, you're welcome again to City Church. I mentioned that we've been having a series. We've been going through a sermon series since the beginning of, no, middle of January, and we run that till the end of April. So we're coming to the end. We're getting close to the end. And what this series has been on is the Sermon on the Mount. And we have said that if you want to know what the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven looks like, if you want to know what a nation looks like, look at the citizens of, the, of that nation. And so in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is describing what the kingdom of heaven that he's bringing looks like. And so if you are part of that, we said, well, let's think about having an international passport, the international passport of the kingdom of heaven, and that there are 14 characteristics on 14 pages of that passport. And so we've looked at uh, the first characteristic is that they're contrite citizens. On page two, you have that they're persecuted citizens. Page three, missional citizens. Page four, righteous citizens. Page five, broken citizens. Six, restorative citizens. Seven, wealthy citizens. Eight, Prayerful citizens, 9. Confident citizens, 10. Humble citizens, 11. Persistent citizens. And we come to page 12 today, and we find that they are destined citizens. I would say if you want to catch up on any of them, sometimes don't be fooled by the words. They may not mean exactly what you think they are saying. So go and listen to the uh, sermon on our sermon podcast on SoundCloud called The Gospel in Lagos. You know, um, the older you get, you find out that life is complicated. Things aren't as black and white. There are lots of grays. You start learning a little bit more about nuance and not just being um, stuck in a particular way. But the more that comes over and over again, you start to appreciate the simplicity of life. It pays to be simple sometimes, isn't it? It just pays to be simple. Um, just to test that, because it really is frustrating. You go around, you look at things. No one, you know, you want to buy. My wife bought cornflakes last week. I started, you know, no more, Kellogg's cornflakes. So I came down. I was about to have the cornflakes. Because people are like, because that's what we take for our breakfast. We don't take all this heavy stuff, you know. Yeah, I mean, you understand what I mean. All right? Fit farm. Hashtag. All right. Um, so I was about to, and I looked at it. It, was, it looked nice, but it wasn't in the carton. It was now in this nice... Um, 
not dispenser, I don't know what you, what, what you call it. It's uh, foolish kind of thing, thingy. So I thought, okay, this is interesting. You know, they're trying to save, I don't know, maybe you don't want to cut trees down. So that's it, good. I open it, it takes a while to open. We eventually cut it. Conflict looks a bit funny. I throw it in, the milk, blah, blah, and I put it in my mouth, and I'm like, there's no way I'm taking this thing. This wasn't conflict. At that point, I would have taken NASCO conflict. <laughs> right? And it's the problem because you go to the aisle, for instance, the supermarket, and I just want conflicts, right? But you have like eight different types. The made in Niger, hashtag made in Niger ones. You have the imported ones. You have the ones that come from You just, if you just give me one, just one brand or two, it will be simple. I was checking Facebook's um, uh, relationship status recently. And, you know, there are things there that you'll be wondering, all right, I can track with this. So when I saw single, I was like, yeah, we understand single. I'm married. Yeah, sure. That, that, that we get. Engaged. Yeah, we're still tracking. I understand what it means to be engaged. In a relationship. Yeah, <laughs> I get the picture on that. Divorce separated. No misunderstanding there. It's complicated. You are what? <laughs> well, what does that even mean? As in, how am, I, how am I meant to understand that? It's complicated. And usually this means for a guy, it's like, I am not really in something, but the other person thinks that we're in something, and I want the other person to think we're in something because I don't want the other person to be able to pursue another thing, but I want to be able to pursue another thing. So it's complicated. The only question I would ask is, if it's complicated to you, bros, what do you think it is for people like us looking inside? I mean, it just pays to be simple sometimes. I don't know if you start for a quiz or a test. You know, which would you prefer? You don't have multiple choice answers, right? So I give you a quiz now. I say John Quincy Adams was the what president of the United States? Fill in the blank. The fourth president, the fifth president, the sixth president, seventh or eighth. Five options. Who knows the answer? See, they don't even know. Emmanuel, I didn't ask you. All these people raising up their hand. It was a rhetorical question. <laughs> I too know. All right. Or if I then said John Quincy Adams is the sixth president of the United States, true or false, which one, which question do you prefer? True or, false. Huh? true or false. Why? Because it pays to be simple. True or false? True. Huh? Oh, I see that. Well, it's true. It was true. You see, we're coming to the end of the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus has said a lot of things. It's put us in a lot of, there's some gray areas. It's, there's some nuance that, has to, that have to be uh, followed. You can't just go straight away and say, well, it's like this, it's like this. But as we come towards the end, and I say it's the end because if you remember, we said the Sermon on the Mount is structured in a particular way. From 5 verse 3 to 5 16, you have the introduction. That's where we have what we call the Beatitudes, right? 5, from 5, 5 3 to 5 10. And then you have this talk about being salt and light. That's the introduction of the sermon. And the way we know that is by the time you get to 5 verse 17, you have this thing that Jesus says, I am not called to abolish the law, but I've come to fulfill it. And then in 7.12, the verse that precedes our text today, you have this thing about the golden rule, right? Do unto others as you would have them do to you, for this sums up the Law and the prophet. 712 sounds like 517. And what that means is that 
when you have uh, two verses that are bookending a particular, uh, they're very similar, and they bookend a, a whole material, that material is really describing what those two things are saying. So with the Beatitudes, for instance, we had it opens with the promise of, uh, blessed are the poor in spirit for, theirs is the kingdom of heaven, and blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake for, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Those two things, that's the first and the last. So what is in between is it is describing what the kingdom of heaven looks like. And so when you get to 517, and there you have 712, and they're both talking about the law. We have the body of the Sermon of the Mount. And this was really, because he's talking about the law, Jesus is talking about the kingdom he's bringing, but reflecting on it in light of the Old Testament. And that's why you hear all this. You have said, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye, truth for a truth. He's quoting the Old Testament. So he's finished with the whole body of the text. Now, so, like you have with any good sermon, he's concluding... And with the conclusion, he's making, telling you to make a choice. But this time, he doesn't give you eight choices. He starts to give you just two choices. From verse 7, 13 to the end, in 7, 27, he gives you two choices. Two ways, two trees, two claims, two foundations. What's your choice? And what we've read today, these two verses, really what we find is that he shows us that there are two paths that lead to two destinies. And that's why we said that citizens of the kingdom are destined citizens. But then, what he says about those destinies and what your choice, or he, tries, he tries to inform you about your choice, to understand what that is, we'll look at that in three points. Kingdom, citizens, destiny, what it isn't, what it is, and how to get there. What it isn't, that's the kingdom, citizens, destiny, what it isn't, what it is, and how to get there. So let's start with the first point. What it isn't. Now, if you're going to ever really understand Jesus' teaching, and I would say the whole of the New Testament, and really the Bible, you have to come to terms with, now, whether this is what you believe or not, I'm just saying, in what has been revealed, if you want to understand it. You have to come to terms with, even though they speak a lot about the life now, they are operating on an eternal timeline. In other words, if you want to think clearly about what we do in this life, you have to come to terms with the fact that they are saying, life is beyond this life. So when we speak about the two destinies here, one, it says, leads to destruction. The other one leads to life. You are talking in terms of the afterlife. And we see that even in the Sermon of the Mount. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. When do you think people will see God now? No. Speaking of an eternal life. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of God. When? That's an inheritance thing. And when it says, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal, when do, you, when do you inherit that thing? No, he's speaking on an eternal timeline. In other words, you cannot make sense of this Sermon on the Mount, and I would say you cannot make sense of Jesus' teaching and the teaching of the Bible without talking about the afterlife. And friends, therefore... When Jesus is referencing destruction here, it is a sober warning regarding eternal destruction. 
It's not just destruction like, well, your marriage is going to fall apart. Or, well, you know, at the end of the day, you lose your job. No, he's speaking very soberly on eternal destruction. And can I say very clearly, from the very beginning of this, be very, be very weary of teachings, or you yourself avoiding this teaching about eternal destruction. It's been so downplayed in our day to day. I had a friend that who said something like, well, what, why are we always talking about, why are we talking, not why are we always, why should we even be referring to eternal destruction, uh, hell, when people are already suffering hell on earth, on earth now? He has no idea of what he's talking about. Now, I know that sometimes part of the problem why we've moved away from this is maybe in the past you have belonged to churches or communities where it's either been overemphasized or it has been misused. And the fact that those two things exist doesn't make it untrue. Don't take my word for it. Just listen to Jesus who spoke more about hell than anybody else. Now, if I take your problems with it because of either its misuse or the overemphasis. I want you to think about a visit. Imagine you had a visit to a doctor and this doctor is um, he's, because you have certain symptoms, bad symptoms, and he diagnoses something about you, your health. But when it comes to what that diagnosis is, it's a bad diagnosis. He decides, I'm not going to give you that diagnosis. Why? Because Currently, there are certain doctors who overemphasize the presence of this disease. One, they talk about it too much. And two, some of those doctors, even though they warn about it, their own lifestyles does not show or demonstrate the fact that they believe in it. In other words, it's like the person who says smoking kills, but he continues to smoke. So on the one hand, this guy overemphasizes it. On the other hand, this one does not live as though he believes he's going to get it. So imagine that doctor withholds the diagnosis from you. And particularly he withholds it when you find out that he's the only one with the cure to it. What kind of doctor would you say he is? He's terribly unkind, wouldn't you? He may be wrong, and you have to check the credibility of that doctor. But if he believes what he believes about you, and he doesn't tell you because of those two problems, he will be unkind. And friends, Jesus is not unkind because he's not mute about this. Now be sure, please, check out, and you should, if what Jesus says about, if Jesus is not credible, you have no reason to believe any of this nonsense because that's what it would be. But if Jesus is credible, then you have to take this very seriously. He is definitely not unkind because he believes it, but I would say this, he is definitely very true because when the Bible says that he's risen from the dead, it means that he's already in the afterlife. And you know, many of us would say, no, I don't believe in that, it's all cooked up and all that. I agree, but do you know our life really testifies to the fact that we believe it in some way. There are certain things, the way we behave, it means that it shows or demonstrates our lives. Look at this world as not all that there is. Look at the way a mother takes care of her baby. She takes care of the baby as though the baby is going to live forever. Some of us fight for justice. 
whether we want to see a warlord brought to justice or we want to see people who are disenfranchised brought into a better uh, standard of living. Why do you care about justice when ultimately, after this life, there is no justice? What does it really matter? Yeah, you may say that you don't think there is an afterlife, but you really don't behave like one. Our very lives testify to what Jesus says about the afterlife. Question is this. Why would you want to end up on the wrong place? How does one get there? Well, if you look at the text, Jesus tells us how one gets there. He says, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. Wide is the gate, broad is the road. What does that signify? Well, the gate is a belief and the road is a lifestyle. It means embracing a belief and living in a particular way that denies that God's definition of the afterlife is true. That's how you end up there. And please, don't misunderstand me. This isn't simply about what, uh, where you were on Friday, last Friday night. That makes little sense about what Jesus is saying. No, he's saying you embrace a worldview where either through your thoughts and or your life, it says that God is not true. Jesus cannot be tested. Jesus cannot be trusted. Now, let me tell you this. Honestly, I'll say it again as I said before. If Jesus is not who he says he is, if there really is no God, then you should not choose the path that he tells you to walk in. Because don't follow Christianity because you think it makes you feel good, even though I think it will help you eventually psychologically. Follow it because it is true. Because if it is not true, honestly, you should go and have a fantastic time in the world. And guess who even supports that? The Bible. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 32, if the dead are not raised, that is, if there is no afterlife, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. Let's have a ball. Why? Because if you don't have a ball in this life, there's nothing else in the life to come. This is where you can have your best life now, if the dead are not raised, if there is no afterlife. Now, can I say this? That kind of life doesn't end well. That's what Jesus says. He says, look, if you embrace that, and I'm true about what I'm saying, then you could end up with the most miserable existence, the worst possible suffering. I was going to say imaginable. Actually, it's unimaginable. Now, for many of us sitting down here today, it's not the first time we've heard this. And perhaps you say, well, I've heard that before. I don't know. I'm just not moved. I remember watching this um, Netflix show. It's called Greenleaf. It was produced by Oprah uh, about a, 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 a bishop's family and, and all of that. And um, what, at one point, the bishop's brother-in-law asks him, he says, because he's, he's, uh, he's done terrible things. He was a pedophile and all of that. He says to the bishop, he says, do you believe in hell? And the bishop said that there is no scriptural evidence that hell is real. To which I want to say, dear Bishop, Matthew 7 verse 13, maybe? So he said, well, we've heard it, we've heard it, but, you know, I don't believe it. 
Or you may be asking the question, why is it, despite the fact that no one wants this fate, why is it that still people still want to go in that way? And I'll say, according to the text, is because initially none of us like the restrictions that come with the small gate and the narrow road. That's just the point. We would much rather like the supposed freedom that comes with the wide and the broad, a wide gate and the broad road. I mean, it's even in our lives, right? How many of us here exercise consistently? Uh, it shows on your body, right? How many of us, I'm not going to ask for the ones that do exercise at all. I can see it with you. Can, I can see. I can see. But how many of us start, have started exercising and have not completed it? You know when you started, your thighs, my God, the next day, hi! You remember when you called your husband and said, come, hurry, what's happened? Hurry, I need water. I'm dying. That restriction, you almost feel like something else is controlling you. And you want to be in control of your life. The broad road, the wide gate, makes us feel like we are truly living. You see, it offers us another kind of life. Jesus said, in the other one, you will get life. But now in the broad road and the narrow way, oh gosh, the broad road and the wide gate, it gives you a kind of life. The only problem is that life is best now and not about then. You see, if you don't exercise the discipline of looking at your diet, if you don't exercise the discipline of trying to learn to play an instrument, you eventually end up with the bondage of a disease or with the bondage of playing an instrument that makes noise. You see, if I have to be honest with you, what is the biggest problem with choosing this path? What's the biggest problem? You say, well, I don't think this afterlife that Jesus is talking about, I don't think it's, it, I don't think it's true. Here's the problem. It is that you, a human being, you once, some of us, none of us here existed 80 years ago. Am I correct? So you came into existence, and you know there was a whole, many people have lived before you. You, a human being, you are finite. You, will, you, you, you came into existence one day, you will die another day. Your knowledge is limited. You have so many different desires. And you want the right, as a human being, finite, with all of these things, you want the right to determine what is true about eternity. Do you really want that? To say whatever I say about eternity is the thing that's going to be, and I'm going to live my life that You really do want that. I can't trust you with actually coming up with a mathematical formula that actually launches a rocket from here to outer space, can I? And you want to believe that you can take the whole theological and philosophical and metaphysical realities, put them all together, and you can then say, I don't think there's an afterlife. Why? Eh, because that text, I'm not sure it's, you know. Really? Do you want that responsibility? If you want that responsibility, God will give it to you. In fact, C.S. Lewis says, ultimately, there are two kinds of people. One... Who says to God, your will be done? And the second, God says to that person, your will be done. Friends, if God says to you, your will be done, that is the scariest thing that could ever be said to you. You don't want the responsibility of trying to be like God. 
Jesus is a doctor who has seen the afterlife. Jesus is a doctor who has created all things. And Jesus is saying, there is a road. There is a way that ultimately leads to destruction. Don't go down that road. You know, the funny thing, well, let me leave that. Let's go to the second one. So what it is. We've looked at what it isn't, and let's look at what it is. There are many kinds of Lagosian Christians. I don't, I don't want to describe them all, but there's a particular one I really like. You know them? Zealous. Most probably they are in uni or they just come out of uni. And they come up with something like this. Christianity is easy. I don't know, you know, it's, it's when people become religious, that's when it's hard. But Christianity is easy because the way of life, I just flow with God. I know you people just think, but honestly, when God and I connect, it is fantastic. So I don't know why people are always making it seem like it's all drudgery and all of that. Christianity is just easy. You just go with the flow. But in this time, the flow is God. But, you know, flow, God, you know, the force, it's kind of, they kind of can come together. Now, further reflection and further questioning, what I find out with those people is that when you look at their lives, they live anything but a Christian life. For them, the Christian life is, as they say, is this kind of mystical connection. Now, don't get me wrong. There's a, a, an aspect of Christianity that has to be experiential. But most times, people that speak that way, they only look for that experiential part, and they feel like they say that their, their Christianity has no, is void of rules and commandments, do's and don'ts. They say that's the problem. Can I say that's not Christianity? Don't take my word for it. Just listen to Jesus. Jesus says, enter through the narrow gate. Small is the gate and narrow the road to, that leads to life. When you hear narrow, small is the gate and narrow, does that sound like an easy life? No, the Christian life is hard. You know it. It is hard. You have to attend church regularly, serve in church, give to church, give to brothers and sisters, give to other Christians, give to non-Christians, give to missionaries, personal devotion, spouse devotions, family devotions, Bible reading, Bible studying, uh, 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 collective prayer, personal prayer, Catechizing children, evangelism, exercising sexual restraint, taming your tongue, forgiving and loving your enemies, don't gossip, turning the other cheek, seek justice for the oppressed, hospitality, refusing bribes, being an exemplary hard worker. Ah, do I need to go on? <laughs> and somebody tells me it's easy. Look, a lot of things have already been expressed in the Sermon on the Mount about what it is to live the Christian life. You and I can all agree, if we are being honest, Christianity isn't easy. And Jesus was never selling you a cotton candy kind of Christianity. He says that the gate is small and the road is narrow. In the King James, it says straight is the, is the road. Um, it's not straight with G-H. It is straight like just S-T-R-A-I-T. So when we say someone is in dire straits, it's not just that it is, it is narrow, but that it is compressing. Say, you just proved my point for me. That's why I don't want the Christianity. It's so hard. And I will say, hold on. That's not the full picture. Just hold on. It's not the full picture. 
You see, this life is one of discipline. But as I was with the other analogy about the exercise and the instrument playing, what happens when you exercise? If you could stick at it for just one week, if you could go through the pain, eventually you start feeling vitality, right? You get to uh, the office. Maybe you had your exercise around um, 7 or something. You get to your office desk by 8, 8.30 and everything is just firing. Your heart, your BMI, everything is going on well. You always feel happier. People that do exercise, they get very angry. I know. I'm not, no, no, I'm not saying I live with one. No, 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 don't get it wrong. I'm talking about myself. My God, you people. Please don't spoil my marriage for me. But at the same time, if you put in the discipline to hear, to, to learn a musical instrument properly, eventually, you are rewarded with the freedom of wonderful, blissful music. The initial pain seems like it is crushing, but it ultimately leads to something else. Maybe we'll take a slide. You see... You can be deceived. I want to show you two cones. You can be deceived, and I'm getting this from a theologian called Don Carson. In the first cone, you have the narrow gate. No, the first one, the broad gate. The broad gate, basically, is this. You come in, and everything is wide. And you think, hey, uh, why would anybody want this? The drugs make me feel high. And I'm flying in the sky. So what kind of feeling is this? I have never... Are you serious? So this is why they said, how could they tell me not to have sex with somebody before marriage? Is this how it feels? Or I'm doing it again. <laughs> God, I don't care you. I will do it again. This thing feels good. This porn, really? I feel exhilarated. I feel liberated. In fact, I feel so constrained by people telling me not to do it. And that's how it starts. Until addiction comes. And what you think is actually broad until your relationships, you who view porn over and over again, all the people that were just normal friends and sisters to you, you start looking at them differently. You can't think. You start hiding your, your phone. You can't allow anybody to see it. Why? Because that broad road starts shrinking and shrinking and shrinking as you go further. It starts up wide, but it shrinks you and shrinks you. You start behaving as a human being should not behave. Because the ultimate part of our humanity is that we are called to worship God with our lives. Once you don't worship God with your life, you are not being human. And you shrink and you shrink and you shrink until you get to destiny. So much that a theologian called N.T. Wright, Tom Wright, says this. When you are in hell, you are no longer human. You are subhuman. You have been shrunk. All of you, humanity has been shrunk so much outside of you that you be something, you become totally something else. We can't call it human. You are subhuman. But the narrow gate, that's different. You see, because though it looks like it is constraining you, it is constraining you to become more and more human. And that's why as you go further and further, you'll be like, wow, this discipline, this is why it's good to commit to only one person. This is why it is good to look at my sisters in a way like they are sisters. 
This is why it is good to commit to the Bible study. This is why it's good to give to the poor. You see, after all our service and giving in church, after all our service and giving in church is an expression of love for the others as Jesus displayed for us on the cross. Our devotion and prayer lives keep us in tune with true reality when the craziness around us is trying to define what reality is. That's why we start off with God. We meditate on Him day and night because we've gone to work. We've gone to so many people talking at us, the traffic, all of the different things. And you are just, is this what reality is? But when you start and you end with God, you are brought into greater reality. The taming of our tongue, not to express anger or gossip, ends up not destroying someone psychologically or maligning their reputation. That's life. You see, the spiritual disciplines bring us immense joy. The joy of seeing success of someone you sacrificially invested in. The joy of seeing a wife filled with happiness because you sacrificially think about her, not yourself. The joy of knowing God more because you crack teachings of the Bible. The joy of seeing reconciliation because you exercise forgiveness and not retaliation. The joy of seeing someone you've evangelized, prayed and sacrificed for, come to Christ. Don't you get it? This is the life of the kingdom. For the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace and what? Joy. It may seem like it's constraining you, but Jesus says, follow the narrow gate. Follow the small gate, follow the narrow road, for what does it lead to? It leads to life. And all the joys that you're experiencing now is but a foretaste of the life that you would inherit. And that's why he tells us to follow that gate. You see, the supposed narrowness of the kingdom only keeps expanding into life, a foretaste of life at the end of the road of inheriting the kingdom that few, few, unfortunately, decide to walk on. So the question is, which would you choose? Which one? How to get there? Now, some of you say, well, okay. I'm convinced. I want to go down that road. I, I now want to get that life. I don't want destruction. So I think what I will do is that I'll follow how the Christians around me are behaving. That's obviously how to become a Christian. Uh, hold on. Just hold on. Is it because this assumes that in Lagos, for instance, that you have one kind of Christian. But we don't, do we? Right? You don't have one kind of Christian. In fact, I can broadly for the sake of this argument, divide professing Lagosian Christians into two broad categories. One, they are called gate Christians. The second are called road Christians. Who are gate Christians? Gate Christians are the ones that want the gates but not the road. That is, you become a Christian without the journey. Ah, let me just enter. Let me just believe something. You know to whatever believe some, some, truth, uh, some truth about Christ, you know. Jesus died and rose for my sins. Okay, I'll take it. Now, can I have a party? You see, you said some kind of prayer, but whatever you have done from then on really doesn't matter. Ah, when it comes to my money, I don't touch that one. Ah, why can't you give to church? I've made an investment. I'm sorry. Why couldn't you give to that guy? Because he's very lazy. Why couldn't you stop watching that? Because, you know, there's forgiveness in Christ, isn't there? Spiritual disciplines don't matter, you say, because works don't save me. 
It's just by, we are saved by faith alone. You see, that's true, but Jesus says that you don't have the gate without the road. Notice? Enter through the narrow gate. Small is the gate and narrow is the road. The gate leads to the road. If you have embraced a kind of Christianity that has a gate with no road or not this kind of road, you know, you want a small gate. I'll take the small gate, but I need the broad road. If you've taken that, guess what? Your gate is false. You missed the, you know, you were meant to go to house 33B. You went to 33A. <laughs> what about road Christians? These are people with the road, but no gate. Your Christianity is only as valid as the last good thing. You know, prayer meeting, evangel uh, night vigil, Bible study. The last good thing you did, or the extra biblical laws that you kept. You know, as Christians, Christian boys don't wear, they don't have punk and do all those funny things. Or no, no, that's not what Christians do. Or you must never ever drink. Or your skirt must always go, only go to your ankles. You see, for you, Christianity is very, it has to be not just hard, but very, very hard. It's hard from beginning to the end. And auntie, it does look hard on you. I just have to say. Never happy, always condemning. And you are not evangelizing people to Christ. You only evangelize people to your own way of Christ. Let me tell you something that some people will not tell you, but Jesus will tell you. For quite often, the people are just described in the first point, that is those who avowedly say they will not follow Christ. People will tell you that those ones are the only ones ending up for destruction. Remember, Jesus said many are the ones that go on the broad road. He's talking about both people who would say they are not Christians and professing Christians. Either the good Christians or the road Christians are not just making a mistake. If you consistently go in that direction, you are going to end up in destruction. It is not, well, there's legalistic Christianity, but it's just a brand of Christianity, but it's still correct Christianity. Legalism does not save anyone. And a Christianity that just says, well, come to Jesus, but you can live your life the way you want, continue sinning, keep condemning other people, but you just keep, you know, you condemn people for being condemnatory. You condemn people for telling you the truth. That also ends in destruction. When Jesus describes the many on the broad road, it includes both of them. That is, these two ways will not lead you to the destiny Jesus is talking about. So how then do you find that destiny? <sighs> The first word of verse 13. Enter. Jesus says, enter. That's it, enter. Can we all say enter? Yes. Enter. What we are meant to do is to enter. We neither create the gate, nor do we create the road. Nor do we create the destiny. What are we meant to do? To enter. Now, but for you to enter, as we've just shown, you have to find the right gate and road. Because if you enter in the wrong one, we've seen what that leads to. So what is this gate that we are talking about? John 10, verse 7. Therefore Jesus said again, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. 
The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Do you understand? Every other gate is the thief. What does he come to do? To steal and to kill and to ultimately what? Where does the broad gate, the wide gate and the broad road lead to? Destruction. False religious conformity will take from you and destroy you. Spirituality without God's rules will take from you and destroy you. Atheistic freedom without rules will take from you and destroy you. African spirituality will take from you and destroy you eternally. But not so with Jesus. I thought you would say hallelujah. Not so with Jesus because he says he came for a particular purpose and that if you enter through him, he says, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved from that destruction and will now have life to its fullest. That is abundant life or eternal life. What does that mean? How does he do that? He saves you. He said, whoever enters will be saved. That is all of us, without exception. We're all heading down that road. But Jesus went down that road for us so that we can go down the narrow road. Jesus on the cross took our destruction so that when we believe in him, we can now have the life that he has in his resurrection. Let me say it in Hebrews, uh, tell you how Hebrews 10 tells it, and I'll, and I'll close. Therefore, brothers and sisters, Hebrews 10, 19, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way or a new and living road, open for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great high priest, that is, he was dead, but he's still the great high priest, meaning he no longer is dead. He's resurrected. We have a great high priest over the house of God. Let us now draw near to God. It's because he gives his life on a cross so that he gives his life on a cross for you so that you can obtain life. But you have to enter. And when you come, can I ask you this? Don't come with anything. Come authentically as you are, but bring nothing of your achievements. Bring nothing of your merits. Bring nothing of your heritage. Why? The gate is so small. It's not going to allow those things to enter with you. Just come as you are. Come with all your sin. Come with all the things that you have messed up in. Just come. With, in, in relation to the sin, he's not going to keep you there because even though the gate is open to you and you're not meant to come with anything but your sin, when you get on the road, the road, he starts to deal with the presence of sin. Since he's the gate, he deals with the penalty of sin. On the road, he deals with the presence of sin. In the destiny, uh, sorry, on the road, he deals with the power of sin. But in the destiny, he deals with the presence of sin. That is what Jesus offers you. Don't stay away. Don't retreat to vain arguments about the afterlife. You're not qualified to speak on it. But the one who is most qualified to speak on it is also saying, I'm giving my life for you so that you can have it. And maybe you're a genuine Christian here and you're experiencing this narrow road. 
Is it really? Are you? Have you made too many excuses to justify your comfort? The comfort to hold in on your, to your money. The comfort to hold on to a particular lifestyle. And then just doing as much as you can. Just as much as you can to justify yourself. You see, how we enter is still the way we journey. We grow in the grace of Christ and we journey towards that kingdom in the same way we enter. When we entered, we laid down our lives at his feet because he laid down his life for us and we are now meant to journey by carrying our crosses and following him. But don't forget this. As you do so, it is a sacrifice that leads to joy. Joy everlasting. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we have this destiny in Christ. We thank you that even though there is a thief that has come and he steals and he kills and destroys, we know this, that anyone that comes through Christ, anyone that comes through that gate will get the life that he gives us abundantly. Father, I pray that if there's anyone here still contemplating that, let them not be constrained by their sin. Let them not be constrained by any guilt. Let them not feel like they are not worthy. Let them see that their worthiness is in Christ. And for many of us here, oh Lord, who have negotiated what the Christian life is about, Father, I pray that you will reopen our eyes and help us see that though the road may be narrow, the road always brings an everlasting and sustainable joy. We ask that you grant us the grace to walk in, on this road. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. For listening to the gospel in Lagos. We pray you've been blessed by this message. To learn more about City Church, visit www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos.